Um, If you would, though, open up your Bibles to Psalms 88. I'll give you a second to turn there because I would like you to follow along as I read Psalms 88. Psalms 88, starting in verse 1. O Lord, God of my salvation, I cry out day and night before you. Let my prayers come before you. Incline your ear to my cry. For my soul is full of troubles, and my life draws near to Sheol. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am a man who has no strength, like one set loose among the dead, like the slain that lie in the grave, like those whom you remember no more, for they are cut off from your hand. You have put me in the depths of the pit, in the regions dark and deep. Your wrath lays heavy upon me, and you overwhelm me. With all your waves. You have caused my companions to shun me. You have made me a whore to them. I am shut in so that I cannot escape. My eye grows dim through sorrow. Every day I call upon you, O Lord. I spread out my hands to you. Do you work wonders for the dead? Do the departed rise up and praise you? Is your steadfast love declared in the grave? Or your faithfulness and abandon? Are your wonders known in the darkness? Or your righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? But I, O Lord, cry to you. In the morning my prayers come before you. O Lord, why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me? Afflicted and close to death from my youth up, I suffer your terrors. I am helpless. Your wrath has swept over me. Your dreadful assault destroys me. They surround me like a flood all day long. They close in on me together. You have caused my beloved and my friend to shun me. My companions have become darkness. As I was reading the Psalms this morning, Please don't raise your hand if you would just answer in your heart. Did that psalm resonate with you at all? Maybe not the, the whole psalms, but, but did a part of it? Did you tell yourself, I know, I know what this guy's talking about. I feel or have felt this way before. You know what's interesting about this Psalms is there's no resolution. I don't know if you noticed that. It begins and ends in hopelessness. Many of the Psalms are full of despair and struggle. I love the Psalms because they're so human. But usually there's a resolution. Usually there's some kind of recommitment to God, to his glory, to his goodness. 
but not in Psalms 88. It ends with, my companions have become darkness. Or I like how the NLT puts it, darkness is my closest friend. Have you ever been here feeling like darkness was your closest friend? One commentator said this, Many psalms and prayers in the Bible, such as Psalm 7 or 77, begin with lament and complaint and end with hope and victory. But Psalms 88 has no glorious ending and is sometimes referred to as the saddest psalms. It begins and ends in seamless hopelessness. Uh, it, It is not on behalf of Israel, but an individual lament about one man and his interaction with God in the midst of hopelessness. Three uh, weeks ago, I preached on Psalms 22 with Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. And I never have had so many people get in contact with me after a, a sermon I've preached before. It made me kind of sit back and think, why, why is that? What about this sermon that was different maybe than other sermons? And here's what I came up with. I don't think it was a sermon. I think it was the passage. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane is a, a profound and powerful passage. And I think for at least two reasons. One, we see Jesus in Gethsemane in his darkest time, in, in agony, in pain, in sorrow. And second, we realize, at least at part, he did this for us. One of those persons that came uh, to talk with me and meet with me in my office was Mark Alsep. And he pointed out that he was reading Psalms 88 and he felt like the Lord was saying it reminded him of, of Jesus in Gethsemane. And after a meeting with Mark, I opened up Psalms 88, read it, and I couldn't get the Psalms out of my head. So I felt like the Holy Spirit put it on my heart to preach it today. If that's true, my guess is that there's someone in this room this morning, or a few of you that needed, need to hear this sermon this morning. If that's you, my hope is that this is an encouraging morning. So what does Psalms 88 have to do with Jesus and Luke 22? Well, I believe the, the book of Psalms as a whole points to Jesus and, Christ, and the Christ. And I believe this partly because Jesus said that's the case. Luke 24, 44 says this, Jesus said to them, to his disciples, these are my words that I have spoken to you while you were, while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. In other words, the Psalms point to Jesus. Verse 45 says, Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written, I believe in the Psalms, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning in Jerusalem. In other words, Jesus, is, Jesus claims that the Psalms point to Jesus' sufferings and that salvation that's offered through his suffering. I think the clearest example of this is Psalms 22. You guys are in Psalms already, so why don't you turn over to Psalms 22 real quick.
Psalms 22 is written by David, and it starts by David crying out to the Lord, saying in verse 1, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Where have we heard that before? Jesus on the cross. And if you look at most footnotes in the Gospels, when Jesus cries out, my God, my God, why are you forsaking me? They'll say something like Jesus was quoting Psalms 22, but I don't think that's right. It's not because Jesus was quoting Psalms 22. It's because David's life pointed to Jesus. So when David cried out in verse 1, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It was pointing to Jesus on the cross. Look at verse 14 in Psalms 22. It gets even crazier. Verse 14 says, I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. and Not broken, out of joint. My heart is like wax. It's melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a pot shard. And my tongue sticks to my jaw. You lay me in the dust of death. For dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I mean, this is thousands of years before crucifixion was invented. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. This is exactly what happened to Jesus. It's obvious that Psalms 22 points to Jesus. And here's my guess. Jesus dies, he's resurrected, and we're going to talk about this. He spends a lot of time with the disciples, showing them how the Old Testament points to him. And my guess is he opened up the Psalms 22, read it, and said, see? And opened their minds to understanding the scripture, it says in Luke. Listen, nearly half the Psalms are attributed to David, and some scholars have argued to read all of the Davidic Psalms in some sense pointing to Jesus. I believe, and I just want to be honest that this is this is disputed, but it's my personal belief that the whole book of Psalms points to Jesus. And that every Psalm in some sense points to Jesus. And I believe this is especially true with Psalms 88. So I want to take some time this morning and, and look through the Psalms. The author of the Psalms is Heman. We know very little about this man. We know this is a man full of sorrows. And there's five parts of the Psalms, the outline that I'll have this morning. The first part is a cry to God for help. The second part is living in the shadow of death. The third part is not acknowledgement of God's hand in this struggle. The fourth part is a cry to God for help again. And the fifth part is living in the shadows of death again. So let's look at verse 1. Again, this starts off as a cry to God for help. Psalms 88, verse 1. O Lord, God of my salvation, I cry out day and night before you. Let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry. 
It's, a, it's amazing how this psalm starts. For, for how hopeless this psalm is, through the despair, sorrow, and darkness, Heman, he, he starts with faith. Look what he says. Oh Lord, all capitals mean Yahweh. Yahweh, God of my salvation. You are my only hope, God. There's no other hope. Therefore, in my anguish, in my tribulation, in my suffering, he, he cries out in verse 1, day and night before Yahweh, and says in verse 2, let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry. That word cry in Hebrew, it's the same word we use for shout. It's the same word we use when we say shout for joy. Examples, Psalms 47.1, shout to God with loud songs of joy. Psalms 88 is not a shout of joy, though. It's a shout of pain and sorrow. It's a shout to God for help. Why? What's going on? Well, it leads us to our second point. Living life in the shadow of death. Verse 3, for my soul is full of troubles, and my life draws near to Sheol. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am a man who has no strength, like one set loose among the dead, like the slain that lie in the grave, like those whom you remember no more, for they are cut off from your hand. Most theologians believe Heman was struggling with some kind of serious terminal illness in his life. A a man that's had this illness from his youth up. Some kind of physical disability that he's been struggling with. A disability that was obviously going to lead to death. Look at the phrases he uses. Verse 3, my life draws near to Sheol, the grave Verse 4, I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am a man who has no strength. He has no physical strength left. Verse 5, he is like one among the dead, among the slain that lay in the grave. Those who remember, those who are remembered no more that are cut off from your hand. This is a man that is suffering and death is approaching. Which makes us interesting in another way, an interesting psalms. First of all, because it's individualistic. Right? He's not crying out for Israel. He's not a, a leader of Israel. He's not a king either that's representing Israel. This is a man that's suffering, that writes a psalms to the Lord. Secondly, it's unlike most of the psalms, there's no enemy causing this oppression. One commentator put it this way, this is the only prayer for the sick psalm that does not include a complaint against one's enemy. So who's the blame? Where's his sorrow coming from? Well, it leads us to our third point, and I know this is one of the hardest points for us to to hear. Acknowledgement of God's hand in this struggle. Look at verse 6. You. Who's he crying out to? Who's he praying to? You have put me in the depths of the pit. In the region, in the regions of the dark and deep. 
Your wrath lies heavy upon me, and you overwhelm me with all your waves. You have caused my companions to shun me. You have made me a horror to them. I am shut in, so I cannot escape. My eyes, my eye grows dim through sorrow. There's two phrases in there that that should jump out at you. Verse 6, you have put me. Verse 8, you have caused. This lament in in the Psalms that is written, this prayer, this, this crying out to the Lord, turns into an accusation. Why don't you take a second and just think about that? Can you believe this is in the Bible? Can you believe this was inspired by God to be put on Scripture? It hits right at the heart of the problem of evil. And the toughest questions Christians have ever asked or been asked, right? If God is sovereign and in control of everything, and if God is good, then why would he allow evil and suffering to exist? And I want to be clear, the Bible is clear on all three of those things. That God is sovereign. He's all-powerful. That God is good. He is a good God. And three, there is evil. And evil is real. Do you see the struggle? The struggle that humans have in his own heart? He starts in verse 1. You are the God of my salvation. You are my hope. Verse 6. You have put me in the depths of the pit. There's a struggle there. He even thinks maybe God is punishing him. Look at verse 7. Your wrath lies heavy upon me, and you overwhelm me with all of your waves. Yet, if you go through the psalm, if you look at human's life, I even heard this morning, I don't know this for sure, but his name means faithful. I'm sure it does by the person that told me that. There's no hint of sin in this man's life. He's a sinner, don't get me wrong. But there's no hint of a sin that's causing the struggle. It's not like David in Psalms 32, which says, Day and night your hand of discipline was heavy upon me. Right? We know David's sin. We know that was discipline. Heman seems more like Job. A righteous man with no particular sin causing the suffering. Yet Heman feels like God is punishing him. Your wrath lays heavy on me. And he doesn't understand why. I mean, this is the same struggle Job had in the whole book of Job. I'm guessing this is the same struggle Joseph had as he was thrown into slavery and then thrown into prison. I'm guessing the same struggle Daniel had as he was thrown into the lion's den. And I'm sure Paul thought the same thing as suffering came over and over in the form of persecution and because of his faithfulness. And in this struggle, there's only one thing we can do. Cry out to the Lord for help. Fourth point, again, a cry out to the Lord for help. The second part of verse 9 says, Every day I call upon you, O Lord, I spread out my hands to you. One commentator said this, In his grief, in his grief, the psalmist continually cried out to the Lord. 
True faith is not an apathetic acceptance of whatever comes to path. True faith lies in wrestling with the Lord in prayer. And we have an example in Psalms 88. Faith leads to questions. Right? I mean, and don't get me wrong. Heman had faith. That, that, that's, that's for sure. He had faith in God's power and his control and his sovereignty. Verse 6, you have put me. Verse 8, you have caused. But he also knew that God was good. Right? And he trusted in that. Verse 1, God of my salvation, Yahweh, you are my salvation. You are my hope. But just like Job, he had questions. And these are honest questions. Look at verse 10. Did you work wonders, or do you work wonders for the dead? Do the departed raise up to praise you? If this disease kills me, in other words, and I end up in the grave, how are you glorified, God? How does that glorify you? Verse 11. Is your steadfast love declared in the grave, or your faithfulness in abandon, which is the place of the departed? What about your love, God? How does this show that you're loving? Verse 12. Are your wonders known in the darkness, or your righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? I mean, these are legitimate questions. Right? These are, these are, these are honest, raw questions to God. Yet they're, they're grounded in faith. Look at verse 13. But I, O Lord, cry to you. In the morning my prayer comes before you. He still had faith. Day and night he was crying to the Lord. But it leads him to, to one question, and it's one of the loneliest questions I think you could ask God. Verse 14, O Lord, why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me? God, why aren't you answering my prayers? Again, don't raise your hand, but have you ever asked that question before? Have you ever asked that question before? leads us to the last point of the Psalms. Living life in the shadow of death. Verse 15. Afflicted and close to death from my youth up, I suffer your terrors. I am helpless. Your wrath has swept over me. Your dreadful assault destroys me. They surround me like a flood all day long. They close in on me together. He feels helpless. And not only that, he is lonely. Verse 18, you have caused my beloved, possibly his wife, you have caused my beloved and my friend to shun me. And that sounds like Job. My companions have become darkness. Or like I said, I think the NLT gets it. Darkness is my closest friend. And that's it. The Psalms ends. There's no resolution. There's no salvation. Just hopelessness, loneliness, darkness. Which I hope leads you to a question because this is the question I've asked the first time I read this psalm. 
why would God inspire a man to write a psalm like this? Why is this in Scripture? And here's my answer. To encourage us. Listen. If you can resonate with this psalms, God gets it. He knew his people would feel this way at times. One theologian said this about Psalms 88. Psalms 88 stands as a mark of realism of biblical faith, right? This is not a shallow faith, right? We have a deep faith. It, being Psalms 88, has a pastoral use because there's, there are situations in which easy, cheap talk of resolution must be avoided, This is not in my notes, and I debated about sharing this story this morning, but right my first year of seminary, um, I wasn't a pastor at that point. I was director of student ministries part-time here. I think I was 28. Um, there just happened to be just randomly, which was never the case at this, this moment in time, no pastors at church, and I was the only person there. And the secretary got a phone call from a woman that knew she couldn't, knew not to give her name and knew not to give her phone number or anything. It was a block number. And said, I'm just about ready to commit suicide. I want to talk to a pastor. And in God's providence and his faithfulness and his goodness, I was taking a counseling class in that moment. And counselor, the professor that was talking, said, uh, hey, sometimes people don't need to hear the, the apologetic answer to the problem of evil, or they just need you to listen to them. And they said that when people are in their darkest moments, and they come to you, just read Psalms 88 to them. And so I got on the phone, nervous, praying to God. And I read Psalms 88 with this woman, who I found out who she was later. Uh, happened to be a friend of mine's mom from high school. And I got to the end of Psalms 88, and I say, does this resonate at all? Does this? She says, this is exactly what I'm feeling like. And I said, God knows. God knows. And thankfully, she didn't go through with it. I don't know what God did with her life after that, but I found out who she was later. And This is how Psalms 88 helps. Have you ever felt lonely or alienated? Look at verse 8. You have made me a horror to my companions. Listen, you're not alone. Have you ever felt rejected? Look at verse 18. You have caused my beloved and my friends to shun me. Listen, you are not alone. Have you ever felt powerless? Look at verse 4. I'm a man who has no strength. You are not alone. Have you ever felt doomed? Look at verse 15. Afflicted and close to death. You're not alone. Have you ever felt helpless? Look at verse 15. I am helpless. You're not alone. 
Listen, I believe God inspired this Psalms to encourage you, to let you know that you are not alone in your sufferings. I also think the Psalms can teach us a lot of how we can grow in those times of darkness. And I don't say this lightly. Listen, it's hard for me to get up here and, and preach this because I've never experienced some of the darkness that I know people in this church have experienced. I can sympathize with you, but I can't empathize with you, if that makes sense. But I think there's ways that God can grow us through those dark times, and I say that with all humility. Here's four ways you can grow in the presence of darkness. The first, you can learn that true strength comes from God. True strength comes from God. When everything is stripped away, your your strength, your joy, your reputation, your friends, your family, your spouse, it's at that point you only have one place to turn, and that's God. That was human, right? Even through all the questions, legitimate, honest, raw questions, he continued to pray. He said, O Lord, God of my salvation, he cries out to God. Just like Job, there was nowhere else for Job to go. He only had God to strengthen him. We can learn that true strength comes from God. And because of this, it leads me to my next point. We can experience a deeper intimacy with God through that. When we are in our dark, when we are in the darkest, when we are in the darkness that's found in Psalms 88, there's no comfort in this world that can numb the pain. There's no toy, there's no movie, there's no trip, there's no sporting event. I fall in this trap a lot. Try to ignore the stresses of life by getting excited for a new iPhone, which is coming out like this week, so. (laughs) It numbs the stress for a while until I get the iPhone, and about an hour later, I'm bored with it. When suffering gets to the level of Psalms 88, like a new phone's not going to cut it. We're only left with our prayers. We're only left with our trust, our faith. We're only left with one hope. That God will right the wrongs that are happening. That he will bring joy on the other end of this trial and suffering. Somehow. Which leads me to the third point. We can learn to find our comfort in the character of God, not our circumstances. The character of God, who God is. Remember verse 1, I cry out. That word cry, he's shouting, he's screaming in pain and suffering and sorrow. And the psalm is somewhat scary, I'd be honest. There's no resolution, right? Does God care? Is he good? Can he do something? This amazes me. Look at the verse just before the psalms. Psalms 87, verse 7. 
Singers and dancers alike say, all my springs are in you. This is joy. This is, a, this is a celebration. If you know the Psalms, they have a future joy that is coming, found in a future new Jerusalem. Look at the verse right after Psalms 88. Psalms 89, verse 1. I will sing of the steadfast love of the Lord forever. There's joy on both sides of the suffering. There's joy on both sides. Listen, God is good. And he's all about two things. You've got to understand the scripture makes it clear. He's about his glory and our joy. We may not have an answer for the suffering we find ourselves in. But listen, please. It may be, and this takes a lot of trust. And like I said, I haven't been there. I'm just asking you to trust the Lord. It may be that God is using this somehow, some way for his glory and for your joy. In fact, he promises this. Romans eight twenty eight, And we know that for those who love God, right? For us Christians that have put their faith in the Lord, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. Right? That takes a lot of faith. There may be a reason. There may be a reason behind the pain and suffering. God is asking you to trust him. Trust him. And you might be asking, well, is he trustworthy? Is he trustworthy? This God that's not answering in Psalms 88. Is he a trustworthy God? Well, it leads me to, to my last point. And listen, this is the whole reason I preached this sermon today. Fourth, we can learn from Psalms 88 that God cares. In fact, he cares so much that he entered into our suffering with us. Let me read Psalms 88 one more time. And as I'm reading Psalms 88, I want you to think about Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Psalms 88, verse 2, look what it says. Let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry. He means crying out to God, just like Jesus in Gethsemane was crying out to his father. Heman was a man that knew death was coming soon. Jesus was a man that knew death was coming soon. Look at verse 3. For my soul is full of troubles and my life draws near to Sheol, the grave, or death. Mark quotes Jesus saying, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Look at verse 4. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am a man who has no strength. Jesus in Gethsemane had no strength. He was so weak that angels appeared to him from heaven and strengthened him physically. Verse 7. Your wrath lies heavy upon me, and you overwhelm me with all your waves. Jesus in Gethsemane was literally face to face with the wrath of God. And there was waves of sorrow and agony and pain in the garden. Look at verse 8. 
You have caused my companions to shun me. You have made me a horror to them. Jesus was betrayed by Judas, one of his closest friends. And not just betrayed, Judas wanted him dead. All his other friends he knew were just about going to shun him as he went to the cross. He became a horror to Peter, who denied him three times emphatically. Verse 14. O Lord, why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me? In Luke, Jesus cries out, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. In Mark, Jesus cries out, Abba, which means Daddy, Daddy, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Father, help me. And God's answer was silence. And just like verse 14 of Psalms 88, God literally hid his faith from Jesus. Verse 15. Afflicted and close to death from my youth up, I suffer your terrors, I am helpless. From birth, Jesus' life was threatened. King Herod tried to kill him. At the start of his ministry, there was mobs that tried to kill him. The religious leaders wanted him dead. John 8, they tried to stone him. At the end of his ministry, the Romans finally get him and crucify him. Verse 16, your wrath has swept over me. Your dreadful assault destroys me. They surround me like a flood all day long. They close in on me together. They have caused my beloved and my friend to shun me. My companions have become darkness, or the NLT says, darkness is my closest friend. Jesus was in the garden the night before his death, crying out to the Lord, alone, in darkness. But just like Psalms 88, verse 1, completely trusting in God. Oh Lord, God of my salvation. And we learn Hebrews 12 too. In that moment, for Jesus, or for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. He had complete faith in the Lord that there would be joy on the other end of the suffering. Earlier, I introduced the problem of evil. It was the hardest question. Uh, that Christians have ever been asked, and honestly, it's a it's a it's a dangerous topic to preach from the pulpit. If God is all powerful, sovereign, in control of everything, and if He is good, then why does evil exist? Listen, I purposely didn't give an apologetic answer to this, and that's because Psalms eighty eight gives absolutely no answer to this. I have one, don't get me wrong. If you want to talk about it, I'd love to talk to you. I love apologetics. But I have learned that it doesn't always help, especially in the time of darkness. But you know what should help? Listen to this. Our God, and there's no other God that does this. They're all fake gods. The one true God, our God, the God of the universe that spoke everything into existence, the God that is all-powerful, that is king of kings, that is in control of everything. Our God, by his own free will, out of his love for us, entered into our suffering with us. 
I started with a question. Does this psalm resonate with you? Listen, you are not alone. Jesus understands. I want to end with a story today. It's a story we're all familiar with. Don't turn there. I'm not even going to read from it. It's found in Matthew. We're so familiar with it. It's Jesus with his disciples in a boat. And this great storm comes. And the storm that that Matthew equates to an earthquake. It's such a massive storm. And and in this day and age, the little boats that they had and the storms that they had uh, on the sea uh, were so bad that when a storm came in this size, it's just death. Like, you're not going to live. It's like being in a plane that's crashing. You're not going to live through it. So they all saw death approaching. They're all in the middle of the storm. And they start crying out to Jesus. And they say this, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. Save us, Lord, we are perishing. And this tells me something. Right? They understood that Jesus could do something about this. And when you're in the middle of a storm like this, you're going to go to what you think is going to help. Jesus was asleep. They wanted to wake him up because they knew he had the power to stop this. They had faith in that. But he wasn't answering. He was asleep. We know the end of the story. He wakes up. He calms the store just like that. He says peace and it's complete peace. The storm was gone. storm listened to him. Right? They saw him at this point. They knew that he had that power. So my guess, and I'm always trying to put myself in the place of the disciples, what were they thinking in this time? You know what I think they were thinking? When they were yelling out, crying out to, to, to Jesus, save us, Lord, we are perishing. You know what they were thinking? Jesus, do you care? You're asleep. We're about to die. Do you care? I want you to know this morning, Jesus cares. He cares so much that he entered into that boat with them. He entered into that storm with them. Not only that, he cares so much that Jesus in Gethsemane and then on his way to the cross, knowing exactly what was going to happen, faced the greatest suffering of all, God's wrath, so that we don't have to for those that put their faith in him. Listen, if you're going through a hard time this morning, I don't know if it's some rejection, if it's some physical problem, if it's a job loss, know this. Jesus understands and he cares. Psalms 34, 18 says, God is close to the brokenhearted. Be encouraged this morning. That Jesus is with you through that time. And I think the Psalms teach us that we can be honest with God with our struggles. There's always an underlying faith. Right? There's always underlying faith that God, you are good, you're in control, but this is hard. It's okay to be honest with the Lord in your prayers. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God, I thank you, Lord, for the confidence of knowing that you are sovereign and you are good. And that when evil does happen, it's not pointless evil. When suffering happens, it's never pointless, Lord. 
God, help us to trust that you are working something out, Lord, and for how hard that is in and, and the darkest times and, and, and the times that we find in Psalms 88 and the times I see people from our congregation, the, the struggles that they go through, Lord. I pray that we just trust you. We don't have to have all the answers. We don't have to know exactly why this is happening. But we trust in your character, Lord, that you are good, you are wise. Help us to have that faith, Lord. I thank you. I see the faith going through Psalms 88, Heman. Lord, it doesn't surprise me that his name means faithful, Lord. And he's in the struggle. He had honest question, raw, honest question, Lord. But through it out, he was crying to you. He, he called you the Lord, the God of his salvation, Lord. He was hoping and praying for joy on the other end of the suffering, Lord. And we know that if he was a faithful man, which, which Psalms points he was, that he is in joy for eternity right now. God, help us to have that faith. Lord, help us to turn to your word in our darkest times. Help us to understand that you loved us so much. You loved us so much that you came and entered into our suffering with us. That you're not a distant God that can't understand what we're going through. But you were a man that walked the face of this earth and faced the trials that we face. And therefore, we can trust you. We can trust you when you put us through hard times, Lord. I thank you for that. In your son's name, amen. You are dismissed.